DEC Podcast exists to equip believers to make disciples and love others for the glory of Jesus Christ. My name is Pastor Aaron Case and welcome to our latest episode. This week we're excited to bring to you our last message that we've been going through on Wednesday nights in the Culture and the Gospel series. The topic for today is gender identity. Chase Schaefer does a great job of breaking down the biblical truths and definitions of gender and what the Bible says about this very controversial topic. We pray that it blesses you as much as it did us, and we encourage you to please share this show if you think that it would bless others who you know and equip them to give an answer for the hope that lies within them. So if you're there, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So, I mean, how beautiful is that? How how good, how good is God? It says he created male and female in our likeness. Two separate genders, but both created in the image of God. So these two separate people, it says, will have dominion, dominion, sorry, dominion over the earth. Uh, so together they can, have, um, they can have marriage and multiply. Uh, these people are considered by God very good, very good. God's creation, which he has made, is very good. So that's where we start. And that's, and that's it. That's, that's our identity. That's what we can rest in the fact that these two separate genders, one male and one female, were created equally in the imago dei, or image of God. God has not made a mistake. He, he does not mess up. God creates for his purpose how he sees fit from the beginning, and it's been that way. And we could look at these two distinct separate genders, and they both have equal respect. They both have honor. And equal dignity. We can start off here, and I I think, you know, keeping that in mind, they're both created in the image of God, equal respect, honor, and dignity, and then we'll use that to kind of go into further study. So the most important thing I want to notice first is the separation, all right? There's a difference between these two groups, obviously. They're not male, female, there's two, <laughs> all right? So there, there is a difference between these two groups. While being equal, God has made them different. They can identify themselves by what they were assigned at birth because God created, he knit them in his mother's womb. And in his sovereign decree, he formed the basis of what they would be. Would they be male? Would they, uh, would they have the biological roles that are natural to that man? To the, create, the way the Bible has outlined and explicit on what it looks like? Well, will they have, um, whenever they're born, some crazy obsession with the color blue? So, like, is that the way that they are? Or are they female? And the beautiful way that God has designed them to have unique qualities and gifts that God has placed in the being of every woman. God has separated these two genders for a purpose. The reason is because with our gender distinctions, it actually use, God uses that to glorify himself. The way that a man acts and the way that a woman acts, both with equality and value, the equality of their role means something to the order of creation. 
Both have purposes and separations that the other gender could not obtain. Two beautiful differences that God has created, like I said, to glorify himself, to show himself through those genders. And see, that's just natural to me. I, I read that. I see it. It's in the word. We're Christians. It's easy for us to accept. But we see this clearly. But as Christians on this point, we are called to preach to the world that, like Romans 1 says, they suppress the truth. They suppress the knowledge. They don't believe this. They don't see it like us. But whenever it's so clearly ordered in creation, something that just is easily identifiable, they are Romans 1. And we could see that with just the blatant disrespect and suppression. We need to be ready to answer that there are distinctions. We cannot back down from the truth that God has stated because not only is it true, but it's God's handiwork that he puts so much detail into. And we cannot allow people who are wrong to blaspheme God. God has created two genders, male and female, to better point to him. And he has separated them for a reason, a separation that will reflect upon the nature and goodness of God. Remember that. So let's continue. We're going to go to Genesis 2. We're going to look at the separation a little bit. Uh, We're going to start in 15. So if everybody wants to turn there. Genesis 2, 15. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord has formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So so here we see the working in of the male and female, both created in the image of God. The man is seen here, and he's working the field, and God sees that it's not good for him to be alone. The man here is not complete yet, truly. He sees that the animals he's naming, he he looks at an animal and uh, he sees that one is male, one's female. There's differences, there's things. He sees that that there are two different genders of the animals and how they're the same, but also there's a difference to them. But he's there by himself, alone. He should not be alone and there's something missing from the man. He is in need of, like God says, a helper. So God puts Adam to sleep. He creates Eve from Adam's rib, and Adam says, This at last, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, saying that the woman being taken from him is 
the same as him as being the image bearer of God. So remember that. They're both image bearers. Remember, like I said earlier, equal dignity, respect. And there's not only a separation of the two distinct genders, but there's also different roles. The man is working, and the woman comes from the man and is the helper. So two different roles, and God brings the woman to him. And like Adam, well, and then Adam basically names her woman, and this shows leadership over his wife. And now is a separation of roles and a, head, a headship established. Now the word helper in this passage that is given to Eve is the Hebrew word ezer. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the word ezer. That's what it means. Whenever you see helper, that's literally the word for it is ezer. Ezer. And this is such a beautiful word because I know when we see the word helper in our English you know, Bibles, we're, we're thinking maybe that's, is that inferior? Is that maybe, is that lesser in some way? Because it kind of maybe might sound like that, but that's not the case. Uh, if everybody would want to turn quickly or probably be on the board, Psalms 115, 9 through 11. So helper, help, Ezra, keep that in mind. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So God here, when called the help of Israel, of Aaron, or us, are not, we are not to say that God here is beneath his creation by being the help. But that the Hebrew word ezer is referred to someone as actually equal or superior. And the helper and part of Eve is coming alongside her husband, which God has created marriage. So she is the wife coming alongside her husband and helping with her distinct role that God has called her to fill. That helper, that ezer. As a, there's a writer for Ligonier, R.C. Sproul, if everybody, you know, that's what Ligonier is. He was with them. A guy named Michael McEvely, he, he talked about this topic of Ezra that I thought was really, really good. It is crucial to understand that the Hebrew term for helper does not convey inferiority or servitude. It conveys need. Man needs someone to help him out. God's creation mandate. The same term occurs elsewhere referring to God as the helper of Israel in Hosea 13.9. So instead of the notion of being a slave or a servant, woman, his helper, means she occupies a place of honor and purpose. Man needs help, for he cannot fulfill his mission alone. And as Yahweh creates a woman out of the rib of man, he shows that she feels the need of man. She wonderfully corresponds to the man and brings to completion the creation of humanity. She is the same as him, and yet beautifully different. So we could see these differences in the garden, but we also see another beautiful thing in the story that is created in its marriage. I, I love, love this topic. And with the two distinct genders coming together, they create the bond and oneness that is marriage. They can create a picture of the gospel and can better paint the picture of what God is like in their marriage. That's what it's representing. That's what it's pointing to in the marriage. See, God in everything... He, he is creating here is using to point back to himself. And now we see where gender identity has been separated, what it creates and the beauty behind it. We see the two different persons clearly separated by God and both image bearers. But now I want to get into my second point. So how do we identify ourselves in light of the separated roles that God has set for males and females? So how do we identify ourselves? In our church, um, 
that our elders actually hold to what's called, and this is a long word, it's called complementarianism. So the complementarian view. Uh, the, the word that's important there, if you, if you think about it, is uh, compliment. Not in I give you, I give Dustin a compliment or I give somebody a compliment, but it's complimenting each other. Two things complement. It means something that fills up, completes, or makes better or perfect. So complementarianism means that basically God, the God-given roles by men and women are separate, but they complement perfectly when pursued and most glorify God by his design that way. So in the garden, we saw the need of man for his complementing partner. And we see where he is lacking something and Eve was the perfect fit. So church, we need to look at what these roles are. We've seen the separation of male and female and where we identify ourselves. But what does it mean to be male and actually female? So I want to go to a passage that explains it and beautifully depicts the roles of men and women, first of all, in marriage. And then I want to talk more broadly about just men and women in general. So if everyone will go to Ephesians 5, uh, 22, that's where we're going to go. So I'll give you guys a second to kind of get there. So Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything they do to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. So the roles of man and women are reflected here in marriage as being the same as Christ and the church. Man is to love his wife as Christ loves the church, and wives are called to love and submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. And how God has intended. It's how God has intended. It's, it's how God has ordained this beautiful picture of a man leaving his mother and father and then clinging to his bride and loving her as his own flesh and the wife respecting and following her husband as the church follows Christ as their head. Now, First, I want to speak to the roles of women here in marriage because it came first, and I want to explain some things. So uh, I want to speak to basically the first point, which is what is submission when referring to this passage? What does it mean that wives should submit to their husbands, that the husband is head of your wife? So let's think about the word submission for a minute. I think the first place that I am brought to whenever I think about submission is the Trinity. With Jesus coming in full divinity, he's fully God, down to earth, we see that Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. Jesus was in full submission to the Father. So uh, John 4:34 says, Jesus said to them, my food, is to do the will, my food is to do the will of him 
who sent me and to finish his work. Um, Jesus also speaks in John 6:38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then we also look at in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. John 14:26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And then John 15:26 also talking about the Holy Spirit. But when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the, from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what do we see in terms of submission? Did Jesus have equal divinity and equal power and authority as the Father? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit lesser in the Trinity than God the Father? No. We would, we would never say that. They're all God. Equal but there's something different. All three persons of the Godhead have different roles. What they have different missions that they carry out. They do different things, but they, the Jesus submits to the Father, the Holy Spirit submits as well, and that's the thing. They all have different roles. So when we see that a wife submits to her husband, it's not that she is is lesser, or that her role is beneath her husband's, but that as her role as a wife or woman is carried out differently and that she can fulfill the role of being a woman. And that's why it's called complementarianism, because the woman's role can complement the man's role to best glorify God with them working together. So when a wife, so when a wife submits to her husband and when she comes alongside him as a wife to love her husband with the sole intention of glorifying God, in the marriage union that God has ordained, then that is the beautiful picture of what a biblical wife is. This again, like we talked about earlier, points us back to God, glorifying God with creation, which he has created. That's the purpose. It points us back to the nature of the Trinity and how God works. And in this submission, it better gives a picture of who God is. So what a beautiful thing to see where a woman lets her husband lead and where she herself is doing everything to glorify God by learning and growing and loving and supporting and helping. The wife that pushes her husband to be better and to be closer to God because he is doing the same thing for her. And with the roles of women in general, that is, I want to say this. What it means to follow the female identity is that women are called to first and foremost glorify God by chasing after God. Doing everything they can to point how they are created back to God and to glorify him and the gender that he has created them to be. Loving and nurturing and setting themselves up always to be foundational in the word. Following the teachings of being strong theologians. Strong women who know God. Strong women who know their Bible. Who love to study the word. Not being weak in their pursuit of God, but searching after wisdom and pursuing Christ. That is the female identity. This will make the strongest wife. It will also make the strongest single woman. Being strong believers and being wrapped with dignity and kindness, she is caring and can spread the gospel with the mission of going out into a world that is broken. A world that says that women are supposed to be these idols that that are used and the world has made women to, to hate the idea of being kind and gentle spirits. A world that says that women have to throw away the sense of, of reverence to something greater and to try to be an adulterated or impure person. But you are made for something better, Christian women. You have a higher calling. You look at the, the world and laugh at their pathetic standards 
and how women should look or think. It's loving the Lord's standards of living and see that as precious. It's strength and strong hands that create the Proverbs 31 woman. It's a giving hand and not eating, like it says, the bread of idleness. It says in Proverbs 31 that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is the female identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your love should be Christ. You should be loving the word of God and striving to be a godly and dignified woman who does not follow the world's ways, but you have something that is above all of that and you follow that wholeheartedly. Your desire is to point others back to God in the ways that you live out how God has created you because you are a woman of God. So now I want to look at the men's role. In Ephesians 5, it was explained that a married men are the leaders of the home. They are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So when we think of Christ, that he's perfect. And that is a hard task. But that is something that we are called to do as Christian men. We think of the sacrificial love that he gave. How he came to sacrifice and die for his bride. He loved his bride no matter what. He always giving and always sacrificing for her. So husbands, that is what you are called to do. You need to give always. And when it's when it's hard, when you are when you are when you are tired, when you don't think you can give more, you do. Why? Because you lean on Christ and you give and give in love. Because that is what Christ did for you. Perfect example, perfect picture. That's why we have the gospel to read it and to use that as our example for ourselves, whenever it teaches that we are supposed to be Christ. Lead in a godly manner, protecting those in your care and others when you are called to. As Christ was the shepherd over his sheep, we need to be the first to combat the world that wishes to attack your family. You need to be a husband that God has called you to be as a man. Go back to this passage and see that you need to treat your wives as your own bodies, giving it up for the ones who God has placed in your possession. With humility and suffering, we trudge on to be the leaders, growing in love for God, striving after him, and giving every day. Setting the example for the young men so that whenever they look at you, they know what it means to be a man. A man is someone for the male identity who shows themselves with respect and dignity. Someone who will be strong for others and who will push others to grow in boldness. A man will stand for what is right and he will push themselves farther than they can go because they lean on the only thing that they can keep going, that can keep them going. Sorry. The male identity is looking into the word and striving to follow the examples of scripture and to live in submission to God. It's not an easy task for following the biblical manhood today with how the world is going. It's trying to, I've seen it every single day. It lowers this expectation of the male into some, some, some stupid guy who is loud and without any self-control. Uh, he wishes to dominate over whatever he feels. Uh, he, he gives up when he's tired and he leaves the hard stuff for another day. It's being pushed in examples in our culture, in, in TV. It, it's, it's, it's shot at us to everything that we see that this male is weak. 
And this is the growing view. Why? Because it's easy. Because it doesn't require much. When you get home after working hard, there's nothing better than to just say, I've done my part. There you go. I'm done. I'm good. I've done what I was supposed to do. But men of God are better because God is better. We use Christ as our guide and our example when we keep going to love who God has entrusted us with or who he will fit in the future trust us with. Love is what Christ did for us, so we need to search the scriptures and seek after loving as Christ did. Loving like our perfect example is, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6.13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Love. Be ready, men. Do not waver in your faith in God. Do not be like children like we see in so many of the men that we see in the world. But hold yourself to a higher standard. And let everything we do, every action, every thought be rooted in the love that Christ exuded. So the identity of both genders are to both be following God. We have different equal roles. They are both equally necessary so that we can live them out to be glorifying God. That's the point of everything, of our gender identity. Gender is a beautiful thing that God has created and used that is so basic and in our, in our identities to go out and be followers of the word, imitating it and using it to reflect others to God. And it's what it's created for. So as John Piper puts it, when God described the glorious work of his son as the as a sacrifice of a husband for his bride, he was telling us why he made us male and female. He made us this way so that our maleness and our femaleness would dis display more fully the glory of his son in relation to his blood-brought bride. And so whenever we branch out into small groups, um, I'm going to leave you guys with a couple questions. Do you accept God's standards of there only being two genders? And then the second question, uh, what are ways that we can do better to follow the gender identity that God has placed in us? Thank you for joining us today on the EC Podcast. If you do not have a church family, you can join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you're outside the area, we encourage you to find a Bible-believing church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless.